Good morning, Grantham Church. Welcome to Church Online. It is Sunday, September 6th, 2020, and we are continuing to worship through the liturgy and the videos that we're providing each week at granthamchurch.org forward slash liturgy. And in addition to worshiping online each week, we're also worshiping together outside every Sunday night this fall on the field next to our building. We hope that you will gather on the grass with us as we look forward to meeting out in nature this fall as long as the weather permits. And be sure to check out our outdoor services page for more information. If you're new to Grantham Church or you're joining us online for worship, maybe for the first time, uh, or maybe you're a college student looking for a church home in these unusual times, we hope that you'll take a minute or two to click on the connect card in the right-hand margin of the liturgy page and share some basic information with us. We'd like to know who you are, how we can connect, how you'd like to serve with us, and how we can best serve you. Please don't let physical distancing stop you from connecting with us and being the church together during the coronavirus pandemic because we're staying active and engaged as a church this fall, and we hope that you'll join us. And if you'd like to see what that means for us, what being and doing church looks like at Grantham during COVID-19, please check out our Staying Connected page. On that page, you'll find resources, ideas, and helpful information to assist you in being the church and keeping to the way of Christ in our current reality. Again, I want to thank you for joining us online for worship. Let's continue worshiping Jesus together with open hearts and minds to receive what he has for us today. Before we pray together, I want to tell you about our Fall 2020 Ministries page at GranthamChurch.org forward slash Fall 2020. If you go there, you can see everything that we are doing as a church starting Sunday, September 13th. Despite our circumstances during this pandemic, we are staying active, as I said, and we want you to stay engaged. Continue to learn. Continue to grow. Uh, be intentional about what it is that God wants you to do. So hope that you'll visit that page and join us in continuing to serve and follow Jesus uh, this fall. All right? We come now to the time of the prayers of the people. Uh, these are our prayers, our prayers of thanksgiving, supplication, and requests. Let's make those known to God and raise our voices up in prayer. Let's do that. Father, we want to begin our prayer this morning by saying thank you. Thank you for your love revealed in Jesus, for your wisdom and your grace in all of our lives. Thank you for your power and presence, which is available through your Holy Spirit, as we've been learning in the book of Acts. And thank you for how you have sustained and empowered Grantham Church through the years, and how you continue to do so even in the midst of this crazy year, which is 2020. We thank you, God, for those in our church who faithfully lift up our leaders and congregants in prayer, for those who send encouraging texts and emails, cards in the mail, for those who build up our leaders and the rest of the body in word and in deed. For those who continue to give financially the ministries of Grantham Church, we thank you, as well as those anonymous folks who continue to give food and clothing to those in need. For our mask force and the work being done through Jules Closet, we thank you for them. For the work you're doing through our financial gifts to our ministry partners, Paxton, Friends of Offenses, New Hope, and Mennonite Central Committee, we thank you. God, for all those in our congregation doing small things with great love, we thank you for taking our gifts and offerings and multiplying them in your power. Church, experience the peace and joy that comes from a grateful heart and share who or what you're thankful for this morning. Do that now.
And God, we continue to pray that you would speak to our church about what you'd have each of us to do in response to what is happening all around us, from the pandemic to racism and violence to the ugliness that comes in an election year. Lord, we know that there isn't just one way to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. And we know their acts of love will not all look the same. So Lord, help us to know your will for us and to do it without feeling the guilt and shame that comes from the evil one. May we be content to do our very best with what you've given us and where you've placed us in life. And then to give the rest to you, God, so that we don't act out of the flesh and bear its fruit. Lord, we know that we cannot be everywhere, do everything, or carry the weight of the world's sins on our shoulders. You are God and we are not. Therefore, bless us with your peace and power as we serve you out of love and nothing more. God, we continue to pray for Cheryl Wolf, who has blood clots in her lungs and her legs. We pray that she would have answers soon. Give her peace and heal her body, Lord. For Kathy Calhoun, we continue to pray as she recovers from brain surgery and awaits further treatment that will help to heal her body. Give her your strength and comfort in the waiting. For Lynn Wingert and Messiah Lifeways, we pray your peace for both Lynn and Pat during the days of adjustment as Lynn lives with the effects of Parkinson's. God, for all those who've taken a cut in pay or have been furloughed, we pray your blessings on those in our congregation who aren't working and those who will soon return to work. God, we pray for your peace and your provision in their lives. We also continue to pray for our widows and those who live alone. Surround them with your peace, love, and comfort. For those struggling with addictions, anxiety, or depression, may they have a real sense of your presence. Empower them, Lord, to press on and to reach out if they need help. For those who may have a financial need or a burden of some sort, God, I pray that they would reach out. We pray that they would ask the church for help. God, for our church leadership, for our pastors, church board, and our deacons, we pray for the Spirit's power to lead with confidence, courage, and strength that only you can provide in these difficult days. We continue to pray for our hospital workers, doctors, nurses, caretakers, and first responders who lead in their fields. For those who work in our area hospitals and retirement homes, we thank you for all those who selflessly give themselves for the good of others in our church and community. Church, who else in our congregation would you like to lift up in prayer? God, from Messiah University, we pray for peace, wisdom, and discernment for all of the administration, faculty, and staff, for all the students on campus for the fall semester. May you guide them, protect them, help them to learn and grow despite the many restrictions in place. For Messiah Lifeways, we pray for several residents there who've tested positive for COVID-19 in the Village Commons building, and, and everyone's having a quarantine now. We pray for healing. We pray for the nurses, the staff, all of the residents. Please keep them safe and protected from further spread of the virus so they can go about their lives, Lord. God, for our area public and private schools, we continue to pray for administration and teachers. As they return to the classroom or conduct classes online, we pray for your peace and protection for anxious parents and their children. We ask especially for your blessings on the social, mental, and physical well-being of our children as they adjust to school during COVID. Church, who else in our community do you want to mention in prayer? Jesus, for our scientific community and frontline healthcare workers around the world, we pray for them. We pray that you would keep them safe and healthy, Lord. For those who are infected with COVID-19, we pray for their healing. God, help us to see this as a humanitarian health crisis and avoid being lured into the darkness by extreme voices and partisan agendas, mask wars and fear-inducing media. 
in all of that mess, Lord. Lord, no matter our personal opinions, help us to discern fact from fiction and love like you. May we be known by a radical love, love for you and our neighbors, just as you taught us. And God, we continue to lift up our leaders faithfully. We lift them up, our leaders in government. As Paul told Timothy, we want to offer up prayers and petitions for them, for the president, for Congress and the Senate, for the governor and all those in civic authority, that, God, we, we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Despite the brokenness of humanity, of partisan politics, and whatever ulterior motives that might be at work in our leaders, we pray that they would overcome those things in your power and do what is best with the most accurate information they have. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke Satan and the principalities and powers that are real and exploit our weaknesses and turn us against one another, knowing that we battle not against flesh and blood, as Paul said to the church of Ephesus. We fight in prayer for our leaders. And we vow as your people to chart a third way together, to love, not to hate. So, Lord, we repent of the ugliness in our own hearts, the slander in our own speech, and the many ways we've only fueled the hysteria in our grief, confusion, frustration, and impatience. Jesus, help your church in this country and all over the planet to embody the good news, to be the hands and feet of Jesus so that we don't lose our witness in a broken world and grieve your heart. Church, who else in our world do you want to pray for? Share that with God in prayer. Finally, God, we ask that you receive these prayers and transform us through them, that we may have eyes to see and hearts to understand not only what you do on our behalf as a good father, but what you call us to do so that your kingdom will come to fruition through us, just as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today we conclude our verse-by-verse book study uh, in Acts through the summer. And uh, we have gone all the way through chapter 1 through chapter 9 together. I told you we wouldn't have time to go through the whole book. Uh, so I will be encouraging you uh, to keep reading Acts and keep studying that and exploring this book. I will uh, put a document for uh, further study and some resources at our website at Recent Sermons. So with this message today underneath worship resources on that page, you can find a link to open up a document. We'll give you some ideas for commentaries and books and uh, movies and YouTube videos and things like that uh, to help you further uh, enjoy and benefit from the book of Acts. I hope that you'll do that. Uh, There are 28 chapters in all, so a lot that we couldn't cover. I'd also like to reflect today on some key takeaways from the book of Acts and how we're called to live in the power of the Holy Spirit as a church and proclaim the gospel message today in word and action. For today's scripture reading, I'm going to actually read from five different passages of scripture. They're not very long. 
so we're going to move very quickly. So I hope that you have your Bible ready to go. And I'll give you a little bit of time to turn there, but um, we'll test your Bible skills this morning and see if you can find where each of these are rather quickly. The first passage of Scripture I'm going to look at is Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The next is Matthew 16, verse 18. And then Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And then Acts 1, 8. And then Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along, whatever translation you have. Hear the word of the Lord. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Then in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Then Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And lastly, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, to understand the story of the early church, we really have to understand the bigger picture. We can't just look at the birth of this new sect uh, called the Way, followers of the Way, which becomes the religion we know as Christianity. We have to understand this bigger story, as I was saying. We have to get the story right. I think seeing this huge epic, this larger uh, story, is important if we want to live into it, if we want to see what God is really up to. That story is one that tells us in the scriptures that God created the world and had good intentions for it, uh, where heaven and earth are, are overlapping and intersecting in, in ways where they, they, they share space with each other. God resides with his 
people, as we see in the Garden of Eden. But cosmos, as you know, in Genesis 3, eventually is corrupted. Cosmos is corrupted, fellowship is broken, and what we see from that point on is promises of God that he will restore it all. This is really about the good news of the kingdom of God, is what, it, what we call this in the scripture, the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom is about heaven coming to earth. It is about our space on earth becoming one with God's space in heaven. Uh, this is what Israel envisioned with the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, that is, in the most holy of holiest places, uh, that is where heaven and earth met. That's where only a priest could go in once a year for the atonement, offer up for the atonement of the sins of Israel. Um, th this idea that what we see in the temple, God wants to do to all of creation. So in the Old Testament story of Israel, we see this redemptive story of God. We see Israel's faith. We see her failures. We see the foretelling of the prophets that God is one day going to renew and restore all things, create a new heaven and earth, uh, and a Messiah would come and lead the way. In the New Testament story of Jesus, beginning with the Gospels, we see Christ's faith, his, not his failures, but his obedience. And we hear his message, the good news, the gospel, as we call it that God loves us, that he has sent his son for us to show us what it means to be human, to show us what is possible with love, to show us where creation is going. God will not abandon it. He will not kick it in the cosmic trash can. He's going to renew, restore, resurrect, just as we see in the resurrected body of Jesus. When Christ returns, he'll do that. But what we see in the New Testament is that when Christ goes away and he ascends to the Father, he gives us the Spirit and the church is born. That's what the book of Acts is all about, isn't it? The, the story of the church, our divine calling to be a holy community, right? Carriers of this gospel, of this good news. We're called to embody this good news as local expressions of Christ's body on the earth until he comes again, as I said, which began, this story began in the book of Acts with the early church. Let's think about um, what we've covered so far in Acts chapter 1 through 9. Just a, a brief summary. As I said, Jesus ascends to the Father to reign and rule from heaven. We think of heaven as the control room for all of creation. He, he goes there to reign and rule, but he doesn't leave us alone. He says, I give you something better. I give you the Holy Spirit, who will be comforter, guide, counselor, my voice in you. Uh, you. You will receive this Spirit and do what you saw me do, and do, Jesus said, greater things. We also see there the, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church in power at Pentecost, and with that often comes signs and wonders. So miracles, things that Jesus was doing, we are doing. It is glimpses of the future coming in to the present. 
the breaking in of the kingdom of God. The apostles are empowered to do the work of Jesus and continue his mission. We, we see those um, allusions to Jesus or echoes of Jesus, even like with Stephen the first martyr, saying the very same words that Jesus did at the hands of his persecutors. He said the church grows. Persecution, even though um, it begins there in Jerusalem from the very beginning, the gospel still goes out, as Jesus said it needed to, from Jerusalem to, to Judea and to Samaria, all within the first nine chapters. On the road to Damascus, as we saw last Sunday, Saul of Tarsus, this Pharisee who is a persecutor of Christians, meets the risen Jesus on the way to persecute other Christians. And Christ reveals himself in a blinding light. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then uh, Saul is changed. He's, He's transformed into this apostle for him. Soon after this conversion story, we know Saul goes into Arabia for three years, likely to pray, to rethink his faith. How did he get it so wrong? To prepare his heart for what God is going to do with him. And then several years after that, we read, if you keep reading, um, he partners with Barnabas. Barnabas is called, uh, literally, his name means son of encouragement. And that is because no one else really wanted to believe him um, no one within in Jerusalem, anyways, wanted to accept him, but Barnabas did. Barnabas did, and, and Barnabas encouraged Saul of Tarsus, now the Apostle Paul, and he's eventually going to help convince the leaders in Jerusalem to hear Paul out, that he's the real deal, to convince them of that. And so he eventually, Paul will partner with Barnabas in Antioch, which becomes sort of a Gentile hub of ministry from which all of, of his missionary journeys will come. Three apostolic journeys Paul will have. So Saul of Tarsus becomes known as the Apostle Paul all over the empire. Now Paul, why, why do we go from Saul to Paul? Paul is Saul of Tarsus' Greco-Roman name. And so it makes sense that uh, if he's ministering to Gentiles, he would go by a Gentile name and be known by that. Now, the rest of the book, chapters 10 through 28, God speaks to the apostle Peter in a vision. That comes in chapter 10. God tells Peter through this vision uh, what is clean and what is unclean, that God accepts everyone. He has no favorites, and that means Gentiles are getting into the kingdom. And so Peter needs this grand vision to confirm with him what he's already shown Paul. So Paul is good. Peter needs to know that, and he does now. The church continues to grow, but so does the conflict between Jews and Gentiles. Even after what's happened to Paul and what happens with Peter, there's still that conflict. Uh, What must Gentiles do to become saved, to become Christians? Do they need to follow the Torah? Do they need to become Jewish? Do they need to follow Judaism and its customs and traditions? Uh, Paul and Barnabas are appointed by the church in Antioch at this point to go to Jerusalem to explain and defend their ministry to Gentiles. And in Acts 15, you can turn and look there. We call that the the Jerusalem Council, uh, where Paul and Barnabas go and and even bring a Gentile convert along with them to explain the good news that they are proclaiming and how Jesus, the Lord himself, has given them permission to do this. It isn't a license to sin, as Paul was saying in his letters, this message of grace 
and of in a, in a being saved by grace through faith. Not at all. But Paul is saying God is doing a new thing. Don't put a burden on these Gentiles who are not Jews and don't know what you know. Um, let's welcome them in and meet them where they are. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, you know, we're going through James on Sunday night, he is leading the Jerusalem church, and he will ultimately affirm Paul's ministry. And, and from there, a letter from Jerusalem will be sent to Antioch uh, with two men on behalf of the Jerusalem church to give and to show approval of the work that is being done among the Gentiles. Two men are sent, and one of them is Silas, right? You know Paul and Barnabas, and you also, I think, know about Paul and Silas. Paul and Barnabas will part ways over a disagreement, uh, but that's okay. Sometimes those things happen, and that just means more ministry is going to happen here in this case, because Paul will partner with Silas They'll undertake two more apostolic missions all across the Mediterranean and the Roman Empire. And during those journeys in, in, in the life and ministry of Paul, he will write about 13 letters of the New Testament. Um, we're unsure about a couple of those, uh, but uh, that's, that's about half of the New Testament is a result of the Apostle Paul. He's a significant figure, as we said last week, in the life of the early church. In the rest of Acts, we see the clash of cultures and beliefs as Paul's message is viewed as being subversive, right? It's subversive to the Roman way of life. It's even treasonous. Why? If you think about the kind of language and lingo that Paul is using in his preaching and in the planning of churches, from the marketplace to the, to the street corner, uh, to the synagogues, uh, to the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17, where he goes before the philosophers in Athens, Paul uses language that is challenging to the Greco-Roman world. And you take like a book like Philippians, this Roman colony filled with Roman patriots and retired uh, soldiers and so forth. Paul uses language that was only designated for Caesar, but he refers to Jesus in this way, calling Jesus king, that Jesus is kurios, Lord, which Caesar was referred to as Lord, that he's Savior when Caesar was referred to as Savior, Soter, and that Jesus' love, uh, his way is love, not power and violence, which was the way of empire. And what was really upsetting is the Apostle Paul says everyone is equal in Christ. Remember what he said in Galatians 3, verse 28, for in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, neither slave nor freed person. We are all one in Christ. That is to say, there are no special seats at God's table, right? Uh, it, it, when you come into the kingdom and when you come to Christ, we are all equal. We are all one. This totally challenges the level, the strata of superiority, of, of power in the Roman world, and, and says Christ is reorganizing the world. Listen to this, folks. Christ is reorganized. This is a new world order. This is what Paul is proclaiming. And this is why they respond the way that they do to the gospel. Eventually putting Paul into prison. As Paul does, 
uh, as, as Jesus said, he would suffer for the gospel. I think about 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24 through 49. Paul lists all the many things that happened to him. He says, I boast in these things. That This is evidence that Christ is using me and at work in me. Like he says, I've been shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and dragged out cities and left for dead. All kinds of terrible things have happened and will happen to Paul if you keep reading because it's what Jesus said would happen. As much as Paul enjoys the, the life of Christ, the peace of Christ, the purpose of Christ, he also experiences the sufferings of Christ. And Paul's life and ministry will end in Rome under house arrest where he'll preach for two years and people can come and go and he'll continue to write letters uh, before he's thrown in prison and faces his execution under the Emperor Nero. And because Paul was a Roman citizen, that execution um, was beheading. However, listen to this, folks. Luke purposely ends his book with Paul in Rome, and he says these words. Luke says, boldly and without hindrance, that Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The end. That's chapter 28, verse 31. The end. Now, why would Luke end his second volume this way? Here's why. Luke wants us to know that what Christ said would happen has actually happened. That is, the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth, even to the heart of the empire, and that the story is open-ended. The story continues. See, I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, was already dead when he finished this book. Luke knows that. Most everyone else probably would have known that at the time. But he ends the story this way, to speak a word to us. Nothing will stop the gospel. The story continues. Will we enter into that story? What is then the purpose of Luke Acts, right? Gospel of Luke and the second volume about the early church. And here's what I would say. How God's kingdom came on earth as in heaven through Jesus and his spirit in the church. And what did that look like? What should it look like today? Here's some things I want to give to you to think about. First, I think it looks like following Jesus with other disciples taking his teachings and example seriously. It looks like being shaped by the worship, liturgies, beliefs, and practices of the church, this called-out radical community who are trying to live and follow after Jesus. It looks like sharing the good news in word and action, right? Because if we love Jesus, we'll be compelled to share. That's what we do with things that we're passionate about. And lastly, I think it, it says this to us. Trusting in the power, the wisdom, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit is the way that we do what Christ has called us to do. And what do these things look like for you? And what do they look like for Grantham Church? Would you think about that with me for just a minute? Let me go back through those one more time. The first one was this, following Jesus with other disciples taking his teachings and example seriously. What are you doing to follow Jesus with other disciples? What are you doing to take his teachings and example seriously? 
Do you pray every day? Do you read your Bible regularly? Do you gather with other Christians and talk about your faith? These are things that we do when we're followers of Jesus. The other thing I said was being shaped by the worship, liturgies, beliefs, and practices of the church. I want you to think about this. There are 168 hours in a week. If we give one, two hours to the church and to things of the faith every week, you, you think about this with me. Will those two hours somehow have the power to form us more than the other 166 hours a week? If you think so, you're kidding yourselves. Right, but this is where we are, I think, in general, as a church in American society and culture, in, post, in a post-Christian culture. That is, somehow we think, because we've given into consumerism, that we'll get our fill just from an hour to a week. It doesn't work that way. This is the way, right? Isn't that what early Christians were called? Followers of the way. It's a way of life. It's a road we follow. And it's full of liturgies and habits and practices and beliefs. We have to be about those things. If our faith is going to mean anything, if we're really going to look and behave like Christ and shine our light to the world. The other one was sharing the good news in word and action. I mean, what are you passionate about? Right? So for some of you, it's cars. Maybe it's baseball. Maybe it's going to the beach, you know? I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's some other kind of hobby. I mean, you, what is that thing you talk about all the time? And maybe sometimes people get tired of hearing you talk about it. Certainly nothing wrong with, you know, getting joy and being passionate even about things in life. But is Christ your greatest passion? And if you would say yes and maybe say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I love him and the church, I believe in the gospel— but you don't ever talk about him like those other things. Yeah, this is not a natural, it's not even a natural part of your conversation. And you, you don't find that at some point when you gather together with friends, especially friends in the church and those outside of the church, and you never talk about Jesus, then I would ask yourself the question, why is that? What does it say about your heart? And where is your faith truly? And lastly, I said that what does this look like in applying this message that we've learned and and discovered here in the book of Acts, the trusting in the power, the wisdom, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit has to be something that we apply to our life. Um, If we've learned anything about the book of Acts, we have learned that without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. Without the Holy Spirit, there are no individual followers of Jesus. There's no hearing from God. There's no uh, revival. There's no revolution. There is no power to change. There's no power to transform lives. There's no power to bring about true justice in the world. Without the Holy Spirit of God, there is no way for God to carry out his divine program of bringing heaven to earth. Folks, this is why we want to be uh, angled mirrors, as N.D. Wright said. 
We want to reflect the glory of God into the world and then back to himself. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be agents of new creation. And so think about all of those things and ask yourself, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to Grantham Church? Where might we as individuals and as a congregation be lacking in these areas? Let's go to God together and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us now. Father, we thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you for how your Holy Spirit has birthed your church, has given us hope, has shown us the Jesus way, and continues to empower us to be your people. We ask that you would speak to us now as individuals and as a church, and that you would give us what we need to be all you've created us to be as a congregation through the rest of this year and into the next. Lord, we ask specifically now that you would help us to overcome the challenges before us. We trust you, Lord. We know that you've never forsaken us, and we know you won't do it now. Help us to have faith in you. Grow our faith. Build our trust. Make us into the people you want us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.